Good morning again. I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis chapter 42, we're going to read a few verses this morning, right into chapter 43 and verse 14. We'll see that there is an incredible wealth of information in this passage that we have this morning. There's a lot of truth that is presented. It covers a bit of time, covers a bit of history, it covers a bit of geography. I want to focus this morning on three principles, and not so much from the life of Joseph, as we have been. We've been working our way through the book of Genesis here, or the life of Joseph, and looking at principles from the life of Joseph. This morning, we're going to see some principles that he actually ended up causing, (laughs) principles that we see in Joseph's brothers or in Joseph's father, Jacob. And they all center in around fear. So the title of my message this morning is, Do Not Be Defeated by Fear. Do not be defeated by fear. And we're going to look at what fear is, uh, how they experienced it, and what it accomplished negatively in the life of Joseph's brothers and Joseph's father. Just so we have a little bit of history here, just before this we have the apex of the story, or at least the beginning of the apex of the story, starting in chapter 42. And that is when there's a famine in the land, Joseph has been down there already, Joseph has been raised to prime minister of all of Egypt. Joseph is the one who has been responsible for gathering grain so that there would be provision during the seven years of plenty. And then we have seven years of drought. And at the beginning of the seven years of drought, or shortly into it anyways, we see that there's massive famine, there's massive drought everywhere. And it extends into Canaan. And you have this story that has been building up and building up and all these subplots about Joseph and they're exciting and they're interesting and, and his interpretation of dreams both in prison and his imprisonment and his false accusation and all of these exciting stories. And then all of a sudden in Genesis chapter 42, we see it's like the beginning of the drawing together. And that's kind of how we looked at it last week. The drawing together of these random, maybe raveled strings in the tapestry that God is weaving. Because after a whole pile of incredible stories, we have the statement that Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt. And Jacob sends his other 10 sons, or 10 of his other sons, down to Egypt to buy grain. And we see here the beginning of Joseph being reacquainted with his brothers, his brothers who had sold him into slavery 20 Yeah, 20 years earlier at this point. And we see that God is weaving something here, and it's just the beginning of that. So they have went down to Egypt. And at the beginning, as we looked at last week in chapter 42, they come before Joseph. This is Joseph's 10 brothers, all of them except for Benjamin. And Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And Joseph begins to put them to the test. These same brothers who sold him into slavery 20 years earlier, he wants to know the condition of their heart. So he accuses them of something. He accuses them of being spies. And he detains them. says he detains all of them for three days. And he tells them originally the plan was, I'm going to detain you all except for one. One can go back. Obviously that didn't work. So he switches it and he says, all right, I'm detaining one of you and all the rest can go back. But so that I may know your word is true, you must bring Benjamin down to Egypt, and then he says you can continue to trade. So you'll be provided for, things will be taken care of, but just so that I know you're speaking the truth, you must bring Benjamin down to Egypt. So that brings us to verse 23 or 24, and this is their decision that's being made 
Joseph keeps Simeon, bound him before their eyes, it says, and he sends the rest of them back to Canaan. So that takes us to Genesis chapter 42. We're going to start in verse 25. Before we read, let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the revelation of God to man, and that in Old Testament or New Testament, Lord, it is revealing much of your character, of our character, and of our need for a Savior. We thank you that you have revealed, according to your desire, what is necessary, what is good for us, what is effective in telling the story of God's revelation and of God's salvation. We thank you for Old Testament characters and the principles that we can understand and then apply as well to our lives today. As we read about Joseph's brothers and his father and maybe some negative principles, we ask that you would give us wisdom in in knowing what to avoid and how to avoid it. We ask that you would help us to have lives that are lived by faith and not out of fear. Give us wisdom and understanding and discernment through your word, by your Holy Spirit this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read quite a bit this morning, so bear with me, please. Genesis chapter 42, starting in verse 25. Then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkeys feed at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, My money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Then they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan, and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who was lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One of us is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you were honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin? All of these things are against me. Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they'd eaten up the grain which they'd brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little grain. But Judah spoke to him, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, Why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother? But they said, 
The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him according to these words. Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry them down, a present for the man, a little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your other brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. So the men took the present and Benjamin. They took double money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. We are kind of interrupting mid-thought or mid-stream there, but I've tackled a large enough portion of scripture that if we keep going, we're going to be here forever. So, I want to look at fear this morning, and going back to that title, Do Not Be Defeated by Fear. And in this passage that we've looked at this morning, we see a fair amount of fear. Now, some of it we may say, well, that's reasonable fear, and others we may say, well, that's very unreasonable, or the attitude from which that comes is unreasonable. So I want to look at that fear this morning, and the first thing that I want us to notice about fear, keeping in mind there's a lot of other good things we're going to pass by this morning, but in regards to fear, is that fear can make a blessing into a curse. It can take a blessing and make it appear to be a curse for us. So these brothers have been down to Egypt, and their intent, their whole purpose of going was to bring back grain because there's famine in the land. They're going to starve unless they bring back grain from Egypt. And they get down there and they meet with this man who they don't realize is their brother, and he puts them to a test, and he keeps one of them, and he sends the rest of them on their way, and interesting, it says that he actually provides for them everything that they need. And then they're on their way back home and they come to a spot where they normally would have rested. Maybe they would have spent a night there or there was probably several different places along the way. This is not a, an inn as we would think of it today, more of a, a spot, a camping site where they would park their camels or their donkeys or whatever the case might be, donkey here obviously, and where they would rest for a night and then continue on their journey. And as they arrived there, one of them, most likely because they determined, well, the grain from one animal is going to be enough to provide for all of our animals for the journey home. So one of them opened up his sack of grain. And inside that sack of grain, he finds the grain and his money. And it's interesting when you see their response, because I would hope most of us wouldn't have this response. I would think most, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I'd have this response. I just bought a vehicle two weekends ago. If halfway home, I discovered that the guy had signed the check back over to me and left it in the vehicle. Would my response have been, oh no, this curse is falling on my head. The provision has been made for you. But look at their response. Verse 27, as one of them opened the sack to give his money, or sorry, to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. There it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored. There it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them. And they were afraid, saying to one another, What is this that God has done to us? Their hearts failed them because the money had been restored to them. 
Literally, it means their hearts sank in their chest. Fear is turning a blessing into a curse. They were afraid. Literally, that means to shudder with terror. They were shaking in their boots because they discovered money in their bags of grain, and one of them. They had just struck it rich. They just won the lottery. (laughs) And yet, what is good is seen as a curse. And it stems back to a guilty conscience. A guilty conscience can cause fear, absolutely, and it can destroy or ruin what God intends or even what others intend to be a blessing. Remember, if we go back to Genesis chapter 42, just a little bit earlier there, they've been put to the test, they've been imprisoned, and they're speaking to each other in what we assume is Hebrew, assuming that Joseph can't understand them because he's an Egyptian in their understanding. And they say to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. They're remembering 20 years earlier. And they're realizing that the difficulty they're believing, they've come to believe that the difficulty they're facing is a consequence of their actions from 20 years ago. And rightfully so. They're guilty. And that guilt rises up within them. Matter of fact, he goes on, Reuben speaking said, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. His blood is on our hands. We are guilty. And that guilty conscience is pursuing them. It is condemning them. It is destroying them. And out of guilt, they respond in fear when there is something that is good that comes their way. They find the money and they respond in fear. And it wasn't just this one, because we see in verse 35, then it happened, this is after they're at home. They've told their father what happened. It says, it happened as they emptied their sacks, that surprisingly, each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were afraid. They were afraid. Now, I could understand the possibility of being afraid when they're the first day's journey home, because maybe they're thinking, this is a plant. Somebody did this to to trap us, to catch us in it. And we're still within distance that this man of Egypt could send out his horses and chariots or whatever to pursue us and, and capture us. But they're back at home. There's been no pursuit. It probably would have taken them at least three or four days to journey back to their home. And here they are, settled in. They're opening their bags and they find money in them. And it says that they and their father were afraid. Now, I'm not sure why Jacob was afraid, except that there's already some fear which has risen because they've kept Simeon and they want Benjamin to come down. So Jacob is not looking at this from a good perspective, thinking these guys desire to do me well. He doesn't understand the full story. He doesn't know the end of it, absolutely. But we see understandably in his brothers and to a certain degree in Jacob this fear, and yet it's, it's an unreasonable fear. It's a fear that takes what is an incredible blessing and turns it into a curse. They were afraid. Fear can take a blessing, and it can turn it into a curse. This was a great blessing for them. It was a provision financially for the entire family. It would have extended to cover more grain that could be purchased. Probably would have taken care of a significant period of time for them. This is a large windfall for them, a great blessing, but their conviction, their guilt, and their fear turned it into a curse in their own mind, at least. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues. The wicked, those who do evil, 
They flee. Why? Because they have a guilty conscience. They're afraid, even though no one is pursuing them. And we see that here with Joseph's brothers. Guilt and fear can destroy what is meant to be good. Last week, we looked at the fact that sin is destructive, that guilt from sin gnaws away at us. It corrupts us and destroys us. It destroys blessing as well. And I challenged us and myself to deal with sin and to deal with fear because of that sin. If we deal with the sin and it's confessed, then we have nothing further to fear from it. That's the beauty of God's forgiveness. And when we are forgiven, that guilt holds nothing against us anymore. It can't. We're forgiven in the eyes of God. Absolutely, there are natural consequences to doing wrong, to doing sin in that sense. But just the removal of that, the lifting of that guilt and condemnation that has stemmed from our own unrighteous activities, the lifting of that is freeing. And we no longer need to operate in fear. We are forgiven. Fear for them It destroyed what was intended to be a blessing. Deal with our sin, deal with our fear to overcome it so that we may enjoy God's blessing rather than find it or determine it to be a curse. The second thing that we see about fear is that fear makes the ordinary into the overwhelming. So first, fear can make a blessing into a curse. And secondly, fear can take the ordinary and make it into the overwhelming. And we all understand this. We know this. Now, I'm not saying that the situation that Jacob and his sons and Joseph, to one degree or another, experienced was ordinary. It it definitely falls outside of our ordinary anyways. We're talking captivity. We're talking one person being held in prison. We're talking a test being put upon them and their life being at risk if they didn't bring Benjamin back. So it wasn't a completely ordinary situation. This family was under a lot of stress. They're going through at least seven years of famine. This family has faced the loss of Joseph 20-some years earlier. Uh, This family has had the temporary detainment of Simeon down in Egypt. Certainly there are some causes for stress. But look at Jacob's response. And it almost seems like it doesn't quite match the scenario. And we'll find that in our own lives as well is that when we bring and compare, I guess, our fear to the scenario, so often our fear is, is magnified. And sometimes we are in serious situations and there is a natural fear. Sometimes that's a good sense of caution. I understand all of these things. But very, very often, when we get particularly overwhelmed, if we actually look at the scenario, it should not, practically speaking, overwhelm us. It's not that intense in light of reality, in light of who God is, in light of the fact that we are a child of God. Now for them, if we were to say that this is a relatively ordinary, so they're in famine, there was a time of stress. But look at the response. Verse 36, Jacob, their father, said to them, this is right after they said, we need to bring back Benjamin, and they found the bundles of money. Jacob, their father, said to them, this is to his other sons, 10 of them. You have bereaved me. You have caused me great pain. You've caused me great sorrow and anguish. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. Okay, so he's under a stressful situation. We understand that. But look at his response. You have caused me grief to death. You, the ten of them. Well, they hadn't really done anything that this scenario would cause that grief to death. And he says, Joseph, 
is no more. He's dead. That's his first cause of grief 20-some years earlier. That's a major cause of grief. But he says, Simeon is no more. (laughs) Well, Simeon's not dead. Simeon's still alive. He actually just needs a Benjamin to go down so that Simeon can be set free. And then he says, so Joseph is no more, Simeon is no more, and you want to take Benjamin away from him. They didn't want to take Benjamin away from him. They wanted to take Benjamin so that Simeon could be set free. And then he wraps it up and says, all these things are against me. Certainly, there were some things against him. But it's almost like we have a window into his attitude, into the condition of his heart. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Everything is against me. Any time I think it's starting to turn around, it gets worse again. God, what are you doing? Matter of fact, if you go back, it says, when the first one opened his grain, God has brought this curse upon us. Why has God done this? And that was it actually in a, in a good thing, right? What is God doing? He gave me money. We see here the negative response even from Jacob. This is wrong, and this is wrong, and this is wrong, and, this, and nothing is right. That's basically what he's saying. All these things is against me. Fear can cause small things, sometimes inconsequential things, to blow up and to become overwhelming. But that doesn't happen to us, right? We're not easily overwhelmed ever, are we? We don't take maybe a laundry list of complaints and stack them all together and then as they are stacked together, realize how much bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger they're getting to the point where we can no longer handle them. We can't breathe anymore because it's overwhelming. If we were to begin to dissect that, what would we find at the bottom of it? Probably fear. Fear which says, I can't trust God with this. I have to trust myself with this. Fear that says God's not big enough. Now, we would never say that. We'd never put it into words. But isn't that actually what we're saying? Fear that says, this has to be in my control for me to manage my emotions. Rather than faith, which says, this I place in God's control and trust that he will handle my emotions. It is easy to be overwhelmed when we're operating out of fear and not out of faith. The New Testament, particularly in the book of Luke, but all the way through it, we see that the opposite of fear is not happiness or contentment. The opposite of fear is faith. We're either trusting God or we're trusting ourselves, and so are afraid. As a matter of fact, the book of Luke many times says, do not be afraid, Christ speaking. Do not be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid. Don't be overwhelmed by your fear. Don't allow this blessing of God, even if it's in trial or struggle, to to steal your joy and your faith. Do not be overcome by fear, but believe. Are we trusting today in God, or are we trusting in our own resources? When your own resources fail, and they will fail, do you go to a principle of fear then? saying there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. This, 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 everything, everything is against me. I would encourage you, look at things realistically. If there's struggles, absolutely identify them. But never forget how big your God is in the midst of whatever it is you're facing. 
And don't give in to fear. Don't allow fear to cause your situation to overwhelm you. Don't give it that kind of authority. Don't give it that kind of power. Do not allow fear to cause your situation to overwhelm you. The third principle that we see about fear in this passage is that fear can or does incapacitate us. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you should act, where you know you must act, but where you have frozen in fear? Small one and yet the most prevalent, they say, fear, (laughs) particularly that causes us to freeze up, is public speaking. Where you know you have to say something. (laughs) And that's actually, you get the idea, I froze. (laughs) Fear can cause us to freeze. Fear can incapacitate us. It can take away. It can destroy any ability that there is there. It can cause us to freeze. Jacob's fear we see here in this passage, it incapacitated him. In verse 38, he says, he said, my son shall not go down with you. Did he have reason to be cautious? We would say probably. A father would rightly be cautious. Sure. But it's not as if it was a scenario that he really had a lot of control on. (laughs) It's either his son goes down or they starve to death. But in that immediate moment where the brothers have said, Benjamin needs to come down with us, and he's just lifted off, no, 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 Joseph is gone and Simeon's gone, now you want to take Benjamin and everything's against me. What does he do? I'm not doing nothing. (laughs) We're staying here. This is it. We're drawing the lines. We're not moving. Nobody's... Don't touch a thing. It froze. My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. It's a very eloquent way of saying I would die of grief. And so he says, no, this is not going to happen. He's frozen by fear. And it's interesting, he's frozen out of fear, not because of what will happen, but because of what might happen. So often when we freeze out of fear, it's because not of what is certain to happen, but it's because of what could happen. He says, basically, I've lost one son. I can't afford to lose another. It's interesting as well that he says, my son, not your brother. (laughs) Did you notice that? My son shall not go down with you, rather than your brother shall not go down with you. He's looking at it completely from his perspective. He's saying, I have lost one, and he actually says it, I cannot afford to lose another. What about Simeon? (laughs) Simeon wasn't coming back if Benjamin didn't go down, but his focus is on, I have lost one son, I'm not losing Benjamin. He's actually saying, I will gladly sacrifice Simeon's life for Benjamin's, just on the off chance that they might do something bad to Benjamin, that something might happen to him when he goes down there. So, Simeon, (laughs) I'm sorry, you're done for. This is what, it's irrational. If you actually look at it in the context, it's completely irrational that he would say, sorry, Simeon, we're hanging you out to dry because I want to take care of my precious son. Now we understand that Joseph and Benjamin were the sons of Jacob and Rachel. They were the love children of these two. Rachel was the love of Jacob's life. He had other wives. These brothers were Brothers of Joseph were from other wives. And so he placed a higher value on Joseph and Benjamin. We understand that, but it still doesn't make it right. (laughs) I'm sorry, Simeon. You're toast. 
and it's based on what might happen, not what was certain to happen. So the cost of that fear that incapacitated them would likely be in Simeon's death. But secondarily, the cost of that fear which incapacitated them was also that they would starve. No more food. And the family is, it comes to the point where they are practically starving again before the question comes back up. And we read in chapter 43, verse 10, if we, this is one of the brothers speaking to his father, if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. Judah, he says, listen, we are starving. Your children are starving. Your grandchildren are starving. You are starving. Benjamin's starving. <laughs> Send us down. If we had have went when we were supposed to, we already would have been back with the grain and we wouldn't be starving. But fear incapacitates us. Joseph put fear before his entire family and before his extended family. And because of that, he put them all at risk. That's what fear does, especially when it, we allow it to overwhelm us and then incapacitate us. Fear says, I would rather trust my own abilities, as detrimental as that may be, than trust in God's sovereignty. Fear elevates ourself and it diminishes God. That is the exact opposite of what is necessary in any case. We should be elevating God and diminishing ourselves. Luke chapter 14, sorry, chapter 12, verse 4 to 7. Jesus speaking, he says, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. That's what was happening here. Worried about people who might kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. This is reverential awe. Fear him who after he is killed has power to cast into hell. There's a, a place for being afraid of God, actually afraid, and a place for reverential awe towards God. We should have that towards God, not towards man. I say to you, fear him, fear God. Are not five sp sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus is saying, don't fear man, fear God. And don't be afraid of God because he cares for you. Trust in him. Do not fear. You are loved by God. He is in control. He has got whatever situation you're in, he's got it. So yield to him, rest in him, and trust him. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Only have faith. Do not allow your fear to incapacitate you. The fourth thing we see about fear is that fear expects defeat rather than victory. Another way of looking at that is that fear gives into defeat rather than accomplishes victory. If you yield to fear, fear wins. If you yield to fear, fear wins. Look at Jacob's thought pattern. Doesn't he sound defeated? Verse 36, all these things are against me. Verse 38, you would bring down my gray hair to sorrow in the grave. Chapter 43, verse 6, why did you deal so wrongfully with me? That's even because they mentioned Benjamin. And verse 14, and this is kind of the icing on the cake. This is the last one, the best one. This is, this is Jacob's attitude. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. <laughs> he, he has a litany of things that are causing him grief. And then at the end he says, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. Well, you're going to be bereaved then <laughs> because you've already given in to it. You've already said, if I'm defeated, I'm defeated. 
If fear rules over me, then fear rules over me. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Defeated, discouraged, down. This is Jacob. He has an Eeyore attitude. I think I lost my tail. Where does that come from? It comes from fear. Not a caution-invoking response to a dangerous situation, but an unreasonable, overemphasized, deep-seated fear. That's what Jacob has. And the amazing thing is that if you look at this, and you look at everything that he has to fear, or every reason that he had or may now have for fear, every reason is baseless. If you are looking at it through the eyes of God, everything he feared in the past or has to fear now is without reason. But he doesn't realize this. He fears what he thinks will bring hardship and disappointment and hurt, as naturally we are prone to. But if we look at his life, the things that he fears is actually what God is doing and allowing and causing to bring good to Jacob and to his family. The things that he fears, the things that he had feared in the past, these were all things that God was doing deliberately for Jacob's good and for his family's good. Things that God had ordained for good. Why had he lost Joseph in the first place? It wasn't because God was against him but that God was working out to save him and to save his family. Why did Simeon have to stay in Egypt? Because God wanted to further demoralize Jacob? No, but because this is God's plan for providing for his chosen people, and it is good. Why does Benjamin need to go to Egypt? Not so Jacob could suffer greater loss and die in mourning, but so that Joseph's brothers could be adequately tested so that Joseph would know if they spoke the truth, so Joseph could ascertain whether they had had a change of heart from 20 years ago when they sold him into slavery. Benjamin had to go to Egypt so that the family could be restored and could be cared for and could be reunited and could become the nation of Israel, could be brought together. I mean, God is doing a miraculous work, and it's interesting if you look at every single one of those details that Jacob sees as something that is going to destroy him with grief, God caused for his good. I am not saying that every single thing you fear is something that God caused for your good, but God is at work for your good in all things, regardless of whether you're rejoicing in them or you're fearing them. God is at work for your good and for his glory. And in the things that seem the most overwhelming, the most incapacitating, the the most destructive, is it possible that God has caused this or is allowing this? Not to cause you to shake in your boots, but to reveal his goodness, his greatness, his love for you. At some point, when it all begins to make sense, we get wrapped up in fear. And those situations in which we fear are situations that God is still in control of. And so we have no need to fear. Child of God, by grace through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, do not yield to fear and defeat. That's not what you were saved for. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, speaking about his children. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again, to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, 
that we may also be glorified together. The child of God must not live in fear. We need not be in bondage to it. We have been set free from it. We are to live victoriously. Absolutely, occasionally, we will falter, we will stumble in this, but our eternal victory is assured in Jesus Christ. So when or if you fall, don't stay there. Don't wallow there. Don't become overwhelmed by it. Don't become incapacitated by it. Rather, trust God. Believe his promises. Look to him. Cling to him. And see if he will not turn your mourning into dancing and your sorrow and struggles into joy. Jacob's life is marked by fear. Joseph's brothers, their life was marked by fear. Strangely enough, Joseph's life isn't marked by fear, and he's the one that had something to fear. He's the one that's down in Egypt as a slave and then in prison. And his life is marked by faith. Which one will you be? Joseph or Jacob? Joseph or Joseph's brothers? We need to be men and women who operate on a principle of faith and not of fear. The church has enough fearful failures in it. We ourselves, we know in our own lives, I know I have enough fearful failures in my life. So let us move past fear and that pursuant failure that comes from it and let us walk in faith. Do not be defeated by fear. Fear turns a blessing into a curse, the ordinary into overwhelming, ability into incapacity, and victory into defeat. Do not be defeated by fear. Rather, we see everything. If you're a child of God by grace through faith, I pray you see everything as a blessing from the hand of God for your good and his glory, regardless of how hard it may be. See the ordinary or even incredibly stressful moments as opportunities to depend upon God and so not be overwhelmed. See the challenges before you as a privilege to display the empowering of the Holy Spirit who abides within you. See that victory or defeat are both within your grasp, victory through faith or defeat through fear, and so choose to walk and to live by faith. Echo Paul's commitment from Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Live by faith and not by fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this is possible. Not because we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but because of your Holy Spirit. And God, we come before you and we confess that very often, so often, we have failed in this area and we have walked by the flesh, by fear. And we have lived so often in failure because of that. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask that you would give us an understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ. Help us to grasp the fact that in Christ we have nothing to fear. What may man do to us? Help us to, to live on a principle of faith. We ask that you would give us continued understanding of, of these principles, even if they might be in the negative sense of what we're not to do. But that as we understand how fear operates, how it operated in Jacob and Joseph's brothers, that we would do the exact opposite. Help us not to be overwhelmed. Help us not to be incapacitated. Lord, help us to be victorious. Help us to cling to you. Cause us in all of these areas. Rather than help us, we realize that we are helpless. So cause these things to be accomplished in us.
for your glory, honor, and praise, and, and for our good. For we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.